Welcome to episode 326 of the Winning Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always, it's my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Jordan, hello there. Hello. Do you think people believed when we finished up last week and said we'd be back next week that we wouldn't in fact be back next week? I don't know. <laughs> it might have been either or for people. <laughs> They've been burned before. If they did, you know, I think I think George W. Bush had something to say about this before, you know. Um, but we are, in fact, here. Uh, we've filled you four, five, six times maybe in the past. But we are here um, keeping up our end of the bargain and podcasting about all things Milwaukee books. We've got some mailbag questions that we'll get to later on. But... Mostly, this is going to be kind of a run through of some of the the key talking points in the books news of the week because it has been an eventful week for the books news wise, much more so than you generally get with teams at this kind of time of the season. Um, obviously, there'd be a lot to talk about. With okay, we're starting to see the playoffs in sight, so teams are gearing up on what they look like, but news of the kind that the books have had in the past week isn't necessarily all that common. Unless, of course, you are the Milwaukee Bucks, where you play the Sacramento Kings around this time of year, your point guard then gets a nice, juicy extension. Drew Holiday, Jordan. He's locked in. He's staying with the books. Good news. There was, of course, there was a weird um, thing where, you know, the people who don't watch the books seem to be baffled by the size of the contracts, baffled by the fact the books were diving in and doing this. To me, though, this was a complete no-brainer. And with every single passing game that you see Drew Holiday play with the books, it's just like, yeah, I mean, what, what are they going to do other than make sure that this guy is around alongside Giannis, alongside Chris for the next few years? Yeah, it's like almost if you question why the Bucks gave up so much to acquire Drew Holiday and then question why they would give them an extension after giving up so much for Drew Holiday, it that it's like why <laughs> this is a the most likely outcome. Whether it was an extension or re-signing in the offseason if he had declined his player option or whatever, you know, uh the case may be. But this is always in the cards that he was going to stay in Milwaukee. They have a pretty cushy situation for him right now. He's playing <laughs> very well right now. Um, yeah, it was no, it was, it was just a matter of timing when it would happen. And obviously, this it sounds like it came together pretty quickly after he became extension eligible, and then, boom, Easter morning. 
Yeah, I look. I'm not going to say I've watched every game that Drew Holiday has played throughout his entire career as a professional basketball player, but it does feel to me that he is playing some of the best basketball he's played in his career to date. There is something about how he's fitting into this Bucks team. I think, particularly the offense, he's a great defender and he's certainly thriving defensively. But that isn't entirely new for him. There is something with how he's meshing and with how he's stepping up and. Really, it's like the books just had a perfect Drew Holiday size hole in what they were before he arrived in terms of finding someone to carry that extra bit of load, particularly when Giannis is off the floor, but also when he's on the floor. Someone who is just so, I think, composed, maybe, is one of the key things in his playmaking. He's never, he's always very controlled. He never looks hurried. Like we touched on a little last week, and I'm sure it will continue to come up. And certainly as we get towards the playoffs, hopefully we'll be talking about it in terms of a positive way. But the difference between his style of playmaking and Eric Bledsoe's couldn't be much more stark. Even though Bledsoe did have his moments and did some good stuff for the books, um, the way that Drew Holiday is meshing in offensively just seems to be at another level. And obviously in the past week, um, we've got some... I guess some kind of expanded looks of that from his, his performance against the Kings to then even some of his play, even like right out of the gate against the Warriors where the books are really struggling early on. Um, they could have been blown out completely in the first quarter if it wasn't for Drew Holiday. Did he have 13 points first quarter? Something, something like that. that. Yeah. Um, he so had 21 yeah, I, in the first half against the Kings. The... Yes, he did. He was yeah. incredible against the Kings. I I just, I struggle to see any real case for better fit among too many point guards at all in the NBA. Like, both ends fitting as well as he does. I don't know if there is someone. You can get better offensive players. There's obviously the likes of Damian Lillard, the likes of Steph Curry. They can't even like hold a candle to what Drew could do on the defensive end of the floor, though. Like it's not close. So, like if the books are looking for one of the best all round point guards they can get, I I think they've got that, and that has been what the books have looked for for many many years through various iterations and through trying to figure out you know what this team was ever gonna look like long before Bud, long before Giannis was a back to back MVP. Um, that that's something that. I think books fans don't take for granted and certainly don't overlook with the fit, but maybe, maybe there are still people, you know, nobody watches the books, Jordan, and maybe they haven't quite realized. I, I just get a feeling that Drew Holiday could be like one of the big, big stories of the playoffs. It feels like he's hitting a really nice stride at this time of year. I don't know if that's necessarily true for his teammates, um, the books may need him to to be at a level above what he has been even for most of the regular season. But I'm just getting a sense. I don't know if you see any of that either. No, I would agree. I think he, since returning from COVID and the, you know, his spells off the bench kind of like before All-Star break, because I think he started right away when they came back, he's taken on more of a creative role. And granted, some of that has come as a result of Giannis being out. Um, but he is playing his like most efficient basketball by far uh, and scoring at like what it's like 21 points per game since the all-star break. Like it's just 
he's doing so many things, so many or so many things well at this point, and it's you're just seeing like what this looks like when it's a playoff setting when things grind down to kind of like his pace because he never plays too fast, he never plays too slow, he just plays at this very measured pace. And I agree, I think he's showing where he, what the Bucks have been missing, where you just need kind of a person that or someone that just is so steady on the ball and can just make all sorts of different plays, whether it's scoring or it's, you know, feeding or making these great passes. That's why, like, as great as his game against the Warriors where, like, I think he had, like, something like eight turnovers. Nights like that are have been rare at this point, but, like, it's still, like, when that happens, it's very – um, it's just kind of, like, shocking to see because he has generally been very just, you know, a great decision maker to this point. Do you mind that though? Is is one thing I'd say because that's a good example of again a difference between Bledsoe and what the books have been used to, which is if Bledsoe had eight turnovers, you'd be asking yourself, well, what is the upside of him having had the ball that often in the first place to be able to have eight turnovers? Yeah. Like Drew has earned the trust, and I think will continue to be trusted that sure that's good that happens to everyone. We see it happen to Giannis at times. Like that, that can just happen. Um, but it's he's a player who deserves the chance to go and have eight turnovers, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think he's, um, and it's it's a different way of how how like if he's having a bad game versus like Bledsoe. It's just it's there's still something that you can rely on with Drew. Where I mean. Eric Bledsoe was very good for this Bucks team during the regular season playoffs. You know, we all know the story, but it was just a different, it was just like, okay, he just doesn't have it tonight. It was so apparent where it affects effort level on defense and all that stuff where that isn't the case with Drew. He's can, you can still rely on him to play, you know, great perimeter defense, take on these great, you know, defensive assignments and still, impact the game in ways that you, you know, have expected from him to this point in the year. When the books announced this, they had a series of videos. We'll get to one of them that probably most people paid attention to. And I think is interesting and worth unpacking its own, right? They had one that I kind of chuckled at when I saw it. And I was like, this just looks really stupid. Like this is, this is, well, books, social media at times. (laughs) Um, where they're just going way too far to reach for something, and that was they were referring to him as the defensive player of the year. And I've been thinking about it since. Do you think there's any chance? I mean, the rules of the defensive player of the year as an award are to be a guard and win it, you've either got to be Michael Jordan or have played for the Bucks. Sydney Mc- yeah. <laughs> or Gary Sydney Payton. Moncrief, Gary Payton, Alvin Robertson are the only non-Michael Jordan guards to win defensive player of the year. He is still, I think, steals leader, isn't he? Steals per game leader. Yeah. Um, and it does seem to be, I don't know if you saw the, the another video the books posted, which was basically just this cut of various NBA players on podcasts talking about just how good Drew is defensively, how he's the best defender in the NBA. Is there a chance that, 
he could break true or is this just the big man's award you're shaking your head this is the big man's award i think this no is like hey let's, let's hype up this you know this guy that's gonna be staying a while oh i and, get i get the books are doing that but he like he should be in the conversation much like in previous years Bledsoe had a case to be in the conversation i don't think ever quite like this it it is just a strange thing that at some point this award everyone decided, oh, you've got to be a big. This has got to be about rim protection. It's got to be about blocks more than anything else. Like, so much so that even the likes of Giannis or Draymond Green, who can be more versatile defenders, they're the exception still, um, even though they have the kind of size that you're associating with most winners of this. This is the Rudy Gobert, Mark Eaton award. And I don't know why... I don't know why it is that way, particularly when there is it's harder for guards defense to show off on a on a highlight reel for people to really grasp what it is. But I actually think there is like countless examples of that. And in watching Drew Holiday, it's incredibly obvious just how I guess he hounds opponents, no matter who they are, makes life so uncomfortable for them. There was some of that with Steph. Um, there's some of that against Damian Lillard earlier in the week. Like, mm-hmm. there's two really great examples of guys that just nightmare covers for most most defenders at the point guard position in the NBA. And he did really well, I thought, on both occasions. You can't completely stop those guys, but he did really, really good job of it. I feel like he should be in that discussion. You're right; he probably won't be. Are we looking all defensive first team though? Or does the Bucks' defense not being what it was hurt their chances of multiple guys on that this year? No, I think I think he. I mean, I can't think of another like defensive guard that does exactly what Drew does. It's really hard. I mean, I think people are going to go Ben Simmons, but he's not a guard. No, he, he's I not mean, a guard. He's a forward. Don't get me started, Jordan. Not a guard. <laughs> but I think that's the only that's the only player I can think of that can kind of rival what Drew brings to the floor or brings to the table in terms of is I, I think he's gonna be a lock for a first team. And granted, yeah, the Bucks aren't this elite defensive team, but they're still pretty good. Um and you know, Giannis is gonna be recognized for that way. Uh, as well. Um, Brooks probably going to fall off at this point just because, you know, there's only two teams and he's had a shakier season defensively than uh, last year, especially. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think he's nearing on a lock for all defensive team. And I don't know, like I was thinking about it too, where if he keeps this up for the rest of the second half, because, you know, Bucks have like 22 games of 40, 40 games or something like that. And at the Bucks, you know, they're they're playing at a great pace right now. If they were to somehow, you know, leapfrog over Brooklyn and Philly and maybe make get the top seed, which, you know, is much uh easier said than done, could he be an all NBA per- player? It's too far fetched because there's so many guards and it's not like it's the all star teams where you still have the east west distinction, but I think you're right. I think the books need to be like they probably need to be the number one seed. You, yeah, if you get number one seed, I think the possibility opens up because 
he is the book's second best player this year. And yes. I think it will come down to just what percentage of the voters are very discerning <laughs> and don't just put like leading scores across kind of their three teams and, and the ballot in the backcourt. Cause if you are looking for all around point guard play, there really aren't many better than them in the NBA, but yeah, I think the books would probably need to get the number one seed for that. Yeah. Don't know how confident I am on that. That's something Not very confident I don't, either. I honestly, <laughs> um, I, I was watching the Warriors game. I watched it on uh, TNT because I fired up Fox Sports. No, I didn't. I fired up. This is something we need to talk about, Jordan. Uh, Bally Sports, Wisconsin. Not feeling it. I don't like it. Um, don't like the graphics. Don't like the red. I miss the music. Um, I miss We Are Fox Sports. We Are Wisconsin. It's a sad, sad day. But that wasn't the reason why I changed. I still love uh, Jim and Marcus and will continue to pledge my loyalty to them. Uh, it was that there was no arena sound. Maybe this changed at some point, but I watched like the first four minutes of the game on League Pass. No sound from the arena. I was like, this is really taking me out. It was just crystal clear studio mics for Jim and Marcus. So I switched to TNT. And where was I going with this point when I started, Jordan? This is always, this is the podcaster's problem. Um. Now I've lost it. Something about the watching the Warriors game, all around play. I'm gonna guess something Drew related. <laughs> I've lost it. Maybe it'll come back to me. It was something that was said on the TNT broadcast, but it's gone. We've got a we've got some more Drew. Maybe it'll come back to me. Um, the other thing that obviously certainly played into the hearts and minds of books fans with the way Drew's extension was announced was this book for life proclamation he made. Now I know Drew is 30, 31. He's 30 now. I think he turns 31 in June. Right. So when the buck season and he signed a four year extension. So he's 31 starting his new contract. Did Eric Bletz also say buck for life after signing his extension? No, he didn't. He didn't. <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> just wanted to make, just wanted to ask that. That's the difference. That's the key difference between the two of them. Is one decided even after to be. signing extension after playing the Kings. <laughs> My thing with this is right. It, it's okay. So he's thirty, thirty-one in June. His four-year extension kicks in. He'd be thirty-five if he sees out that contract with the books. On the one hand, it's possibly quite easy to say I'm a book for life. It's just also the sort of thing that people don't say for very obvious reasons with the way the NBA is. Um, I don't know. I found this interesting. I find it interesting, one, just how much he seems to like the organization and have locked in. And from the moment the trade happened, he gave that interview. Oh, I can't remember to what Pelican's blog. Was it Haynes? Or, uh, that too. He gave two of them. I think his first one was, was with the bird rights. Uh, it was the bird rights and it was him and his wife, Lauren. And they talked about, yeah, we want, we want to stay here. This is, yeah, this is the place to be. It's, we love the way the franchise is run, the way the team is in the court. I want to sign an extension. It's before playing a game before anything. I was like, okay, that's striking. Um, even more so now 
a few months later that he goes through, he signs the extension. You know, could have had a robust free agency market. If you had any doubt about the way he felt he fit with the team or the book's prospects, if there was any niggling doubt, he could have just tested free agency, got a very healthy deal and maybe another situation that he liked more, felt was a better fit, whatever. But he didn't. He signed the deal. He said book for life. Now, part of this is, I find it very jarring for a player of that stature to be signing extension with the books and saying something like that. This is this is not like the Milwaukee books that I'm used to. Um, this is definitely not like the Milwaukee books that you and most people who've been books fans longer than I have been used to, where you know really really good players have just been like, yeah, this is the place for me. So what did you what did you make of that? Like, there's obviously an element of reading too much into this, but it's also it's because of the way Drew Holiday is. He doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who wants to say something. something for something sake for the sake of it. But also, I don't think he'd want to say this to then, like, expect to be moved or to be looking to get out of there two years from now. Stuff goes down, so. He's he's someone who, without in any kind of cynical way saying like, oh, he's carefully cultivated an image for himself. He does have an image of himself as the kind of person he is, the way he's conducted himself as a professional. I just found it was interesting that someone like him came out with that statement. It's great for the books. Great for the books if people are talking like that. Um, I just really thought it was striking a guy who's been here how many months? Like, um, and. He says, yeah, this is where I want to be, and I'm going to come out with a statement this bold. There's lots of ways you could say that without using those words, but he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's reassuring to see that the Bucks' big gamble has paid off and that he's, you know, this is where he wants to be. This is where he potentially wants to finish out his career because that's a legitimate thing to think about at this point. Um, yeah, I... I, I th- it, I agree. I, I don't know if it, that comes to fruition, but I, even when he signed his huge deal with New Orleans, he still, it wasn't like he was, you know, there was a lot of speculation around him. It wasn't like he was trying to stir it and, you know, uh, say, hey, this is, I'm thinking about, you know, splitting, you know, <laughs> going to a different situation. Obviously, the whole Anthony Davis saga threw a big wrench on, you know, the end of his con- or time there, but still, it wasn't like he. Uh, I w- I wouldn't say that he didn't like stir the pot or anything like that. With in terms of you know, th- is this where I'm going to be for the rest of my career? Um, especially you know when he. I mean, even when was it like a few years ago where the Bucks were linked to him in some sort of crazy deal, deadline deal? Was that like the Dwight Howard around that time? Do you remember that? I remember the Dwight Howard. I remember very well the Dwight Howard. It's probably something that if I try to look up on Google, it's probably been scrubbed from the internet. But I just remember there was some, like... I'm going to search my name with Drew Holiday. Yeah, it probably would have been something that we wrote about. This this is the kind of thing that might lead to uh, some results. No, I don't think so, Jordan. I don't. I mean, he's long been... uh, I'll search your name, too, with Drew Holiday, although that will have (laughs) a lot more recent results. Um... He's the kind of player, look, that books fans were dreaming of landing for so, so long um, that them actually 
getting him was kind of strange because it just it was such a kind of such a fantasy to imagine that that was going to happen um but they made it they made it happen and it's working out very nicely i don't know i don't see that i mean even thinking though about holiday like he's kind of never really agitated for a move like he's always been no even in that pelican situation as you said it was never ideal lots of other people and one very notable person certainly did push their way out of there he didn't do it like that and it is interesting too because when you look at early in his career and when he really hit his I guess in some ways the pinnacle of his career still is that all-star appearance with the Sixers and they had that run under Doug Collins if I'm remembering correctly that really good season he played great and then they tore it down and the process started and he was just kind of pretty unceremoniously shipped out um which is even interesting now when you think of it because when you look at the age he is now the age he was then not sure there was a need for them to do that the Sixers could have saved themselves a lot of problems along the way by being like okay we're gonna have one steady head throughout this whole thing it's gonna be Drew Holiday and then you know when all these bigs were drafting turn out we've got our point guard um the, the other part of this, then, is the numbers. And I look at you and I go, there's a numbers man. So, Jordan, run the numbers for us. What are your thoughts on how the books seem to have structured this deal? Because, yeah, it is a max and also it mightn't quite be a max. Uh, it's, what is it? It's like 135, 134.9 something. That's like the guaranteed base salary over the four years and then it sounds like the the same incentives that he has on his current contract are in this one where he can earn you know bonuses for whatever categories that apply (laughs) and i think it was eric name that said that 4.1 million of those incentives are deemed likely and then the remaining uh million would be unlikely. So you basically just, it's, it's basically the same kind of (laughs) structure that the bucks have to work around in terms of tax stuff and all that stuff that they have right now with Drew's current deal. Isn't there some of this in Chris's current deal as well? Probably. There's, there's, I'm pretty sure there is some incentive based structures that really made the, there might Go be on. some of Giannis too. I would, yeah, there probably is, but I would wager less with Giannis. I don't know how much uh, negotiating really was going on with that one. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, look, as we touched on at the beginning, there were. I certainly I saw some takes from people covering other teams or national kind of focused people, which are like, "Really, you're committing all this money to Drew Holiday?" and I mean, my thought of that is, you know, those people need to learn more about Drew Holiday. Uh, it's not easy. This is why I always chose to focus on a single team when I was in this game, because, mm-hmm. you know, knowing everything about everyone is hard. Um, and certainly someone like Drew Holiday, and you just have to look at the stops he's been at throughout his career, not the places where you're going to get all the media attention. But he is really, really good. And 
he could prove to be like the the person who tips the balance and the book's actually winning a championship. Um, it's It certainly feels feasible. What do you want to go to next? We do Darwin? Yeah. So, Darwin Ham was, I can't remember what day it was, was reported to Saturday. be interviewing. Saturday? Okay. Reported to be interviewing for the head coaching job at his alma mater, Texas Tech. And pretty swiftly, and I'll say for me, kind of surprisingly, it came to the other side and it's no, he's going to stay where he is. He's happy to stay with the books and his kind of, his eyes are still set on the prize of an NBA head coaching gig, which I mean, on the one hand, I don't think he can be very far down in the queue. I think someone soon, one way or another, is going to give him the call and he's going to get one of those jobs. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, outside of the NBA, there may not be a bigger job that Darvin Ham could have taken. And when it did come up, I, I kind of thought, hmm, okay. It hasn't worked for him getting the opportunity that I think he's definitely earned. Maybe this is something that could really work in his favor where he goes there. He really builds something, works something nicely over the course of three or four years. And he comes back into the NBA as a very different coach in terms of reputation. And then really also with a, with a resume that very few people would be able to kind of argue with from his time as a player in the league to his many successful years as an assistant coach to then, okay, he's also got head coaching experience, experience of running a program in a way that an assistant coach would never be responsible for. What was your reaction? Were you surprised or is it just a sense of like, probably you think, I think everyone thinks he's decided it's going to happen sooner or later. I'm just going to stick where I am. And I guess being with the books, being in the mix for a championship, that helps being with Bud and Charles Lee and Ben Sullivan, guys he's worked with for years. I'm sure that helps. Is it just, this is fine to wait it out and I think I'm going to strike gold soon? Yeah, I think I think that would be it. And obviously, sounds like the reporting from Texas Tech side where you know their coach leaves for a bigger job at Texas University. They go back to one of their, you know, players that helped kind of put put the program on the map when Darwin was there and kind of look at this splashy hire. And he's, you know, been working in the NBA for the last decade plus, all that stuff. Like it's from their side, it's like, oh, look, look, this is who we're reaching out. We're looking at someone from our own program and alma mater. Like, you know what I mean? Like there is incentive from their perspective too i don't know who they ended up hiring since then but um but yeah from darwin's perspective i mean it's just it's kind of the this it's, it's similar to how we talk about like g league players and guys that like you know the christian woods of the world or they have put in their time and have played really well and just need that shot it's the same thing with assistant coaches and specifically black assistant coaches where mm-hmm. we saw it with Patrick Ewing, we saw it with Jerry Stackhouse who both of them eventually went to the college route. And, you know, it's like, what do they ever come back on the NBA circles? Who knows? But like you've been going out for so long. He's been linked. I mean, last summer he was linked to so many interviews at this point, And it was just like, which one was he being seriously considered for? Which one did he get, you know, close to becoming, the Pacers coach or the Bulls coach, or I think he was in the mix for the Clippers job. Like it was just, 
He's in the mix for all these different... The Timberwolves? Yeah, a couple years ago, yep. That was was... a couple of years ago. Like, that was one of the first ones. Like, he's he's been through a solid four or five coaching cycles of this that we know of. And that's probably without others where he may have got a call without getting kind of full consideration. Yeah. And, I mean, at his... from his perspective, he could say, my time is coming. And not that this would happen, but if you're also Darvin Ham and you're looking at, hey, well, there's this expect- expectation to win in Milwaukee. We all know, but there was, it, it wasn't necessarily questions around Bud, but there was, there was, there was a need for confirmation of a Bud staying in Milwaukee after how things ended last playoff uh, run. You know, he could easily say, "Hey, I might be the person waiting. I could. This could be where I ultimately get my shot." So there's so many different angles to this where he can eventually get that step up, whether it's in Milwaukee, whether it's elsewhere in the NBA. But it's just like the waiting angle of it, where it's like everybody's saying Darvin Ham is going to be a coach in this league. Darvin Ham is going to be a coach in this league, and then you just have to, you know, finger <laughs> cross your fingers and hope that comes eventually. But I don't know. This is the. This is just like the part of the whole coaching carousel that you just hear about these assistant coaches for so long, and like this is well respected guy. Even Charles Lee is kind of starting to get into that mix yeah. too now. Charles Lee could end up getting a job before Darwin, and yeah. like it's just a matter I, of where and when feels this happens. Like, yeah, and like who fits what organization and who clicks when they walk into a room with whoever. And Darwin has talked at length about the challenges of that, particularly he feels as as a, a black man and black man of his size. Um, and I don't think that can that can be overlooked. And even it is when you it's kind of troubling when you you talk about the likes of Ewing and Stackhouse and you see this trend and it's like, yeah, these are high profile people, <laughs> certainly qualified, uh, but they are getting their chances in college and they're having to seek out challenges chances in college and Stackhouse was went through the G League before that too. I mean, the one thing I wonder, um, and look, the the big difference here is difference in color between Darvin Ham and Bud. But I wonder if the Bud influence and the arc of Bud's career and being close to him is playing a factor in this. Which is, Bud was an assistant coach for seventeen years with the Spurs. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying Darvin Ham's like, well, I'm gonna put in my seventeen years and then. But I am have no doubt over their years together, whether it be in Atlanta or Milwaukee, they've talked about that and talked about the waiting game for Bud and weighing up kind of being in a prominent, being, you know, lead assistant coach on a really good team, on a genuine contender and what that allows you to pick up experience wise and just kind of, I guess, the, the feel good nature of that. Darvin Ham is an athlete. He was a competitor. Like, Sure, he'll jump at a rebuilding job if someone wants to offer him one in the NBA, but I would imagine he also enjoys being part of a team that wins a lot of games as a chance to win it all. Um, that's that's something I wonder about, just how those conversations may have played out between Bud and Darwin over the years, and if that has any influence. It's ridiculous because Darwin actually has NBA playing experience that Bud never had, um, but the sad reality might be still that Bud was in a much kind of a much better position to pick and choose when he'd make that jump um, because of the privilege of the color of his skin. 
And I mean, I know you've probably mentioned it tons of times in articles and writing every time this comes up and we would have talked about it on the pod before. Like Darwin has talked about this at length. He did that kind of strange interview with George Carl in many other ways on George Carl's podcast. That was, wasn't it? Yep. Um, he had a couple. I actually. don't know if I, I don't know if I'd recommend all of the George Carl podcast experience, but what Darwin says is very much worth any book since time in reading and is worth kind of listening to and, um, just taking on the, the sheer frustration that he clearly has and how he feels he's not getting a fair shake of things and it's hard to argue against that um and he's not the only one obviously even this season there have been instances of it with other coaching hires um where high profile assistants sure they can get hired are they the high profile black assistants not as often as i think a lot of people would be comfortable acknowledging so mm-hmm. yeah it's what to keep working on i mean in the now i think for the books it's an undoubted positive keeping a coach of Darwin's quality on the staff and at this time of the season, I think can only be a good thing. I think you've flagged up something though, that it's not like Darwin's going to be gunning for a Bud's job, but it's, it's very, very feasible. And probably if we're to look at the odds of it, it's more likely than not that the book's job could be open at the end of the season. Um, that's that's personally how I would view it at this point. It's you're probably looking sixty forty uh, against Bud keeping his job. Maybe those kind of odds. It wouldn't, you know, you could easily have a swing to go the other way. But I think it's pretty close right now. And if I was to go one way or another, I'd say, well, you know, the odds might be stacked against him. So if that was to happen. Is there going to be an organization where he'd be higher on the list or more well thought of possibly than in Milwaukee? I guess that would depend on exactly what went wrong, how they felt like it tied to Bud's staff, how they felt like that might carry over an assistant. Of course, we have seen. Uh, the books have had some up-close looks at what can happen when an assistant coach from a past regime gets elevated to the top seat and changes things around. That's Jordan Smythe Riley. <laughs> Um, I I it's good for the books that he's still there, but I really hope Darwin gets his chance soon because I think he's like long, long since earned it. Um, like I often talk about having watched the Bud Hawks teams, and that will come true on how Bud's team played, and now like even last week we were talking about Teague and Teague back to then, but I've watched Darvin Ham be assistant coach for all Eight of that years. time too. And I can think back to the interviews he used to give with Fox Sports Southeast. They have a jingle too. We are Southeast, Jordan. Uh, which isn't as good. But anyway, um, it's the same. Impressive from the get-go. Just like he's really impressive all that time. Players like him. Um, and he's had great success in working with players through that time and working with Bud. So hopefully something clicks for him soon. Um... Giannis's knee. Are you worried? Yeah. It's not great. Because it's an annual thing, and we saw what happened in last year's playoffs. Um, It certainly isn't great. 
And I think the only conclusion now that it seems you could come to is like you can see the obvious, the wear and tear of the season. Um, there's a point in the season where it understandably kicks in, but that is a concern for the books. But especially this season because they're playing how many games in between a, like every other day. And he's playing more minutes this year. It's a short it's, turnaround. The thing with that is it's going to get so much worse though. Every day nearly yes. I look at the standings and I just keep kind of going, why are the Nets and Sixers running away from the books and games played? Like, why is this cap? Like, when are these games going to be played? And the books weren't the team with loads of first half cancellations either. So it's kind of puzzling. And I don't know how well that's going to serve the books. Like, this is, maybe this was the thing that I forgot earlier on the TNT broadcast. They started to talk about, you know, the prospect of the books getting the one seat. This was it. Yeah. And they were they were stressing, you know, oh, I think they're a team that would want it. You know, they'll want it more than the Nets. And why? I don't, I, first of all, like, what does that mean? I, I it's like know, everybody wants to be the I have no seat. grasp on that. Maybe because the Nets don't have fans. Is that still the case? I don't know. I don't mean, like, are they allowed in? I don't know the answer to the that. The general either. fan base. But I mean, just generally, do people care they have about a, the Nets? They have that one guy that, that, like, heckles the free throw shooter that Kyle yeah. Korver pointed to. Remember that? I mean, if the Knicks <laughs> keep going the way they're going, like, they, all the celebrity Nick fans could be there. They've already stolen Ethan Hawke away. Spike Lee could be next. You know, maybe just... Michael Rappaport. <laughs> That's not. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to really go deep on that one. Um, oh, well, I think I, <clears throat> I, think I just but, like Colbert report his name. The thing with that argument is the books have had home court twice, and it's meant absolutely nothing. So who cares? Especially last care. year when they're playing in this one location. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I really, what does it matter? What does it matter? And as we all know, like, sure, I think the longer you can have it, the better. Like, if the books can be, if they're not going to be the number one seed, if you can be the number two seed and get home court through two rounds, great. Like, but there's just no, there isn't sufficient motivation to really go and push yourself with the short turnaround between seasons, with the toll it's obviously going to take on everyone's body, and with just how it's gone wrong for the books before. But I am I am a little alarmed that Would it... Giannis's knee is acting up at this particular time, and with the just unseemly slate that's ahead for the books between now and the end of the season. So two things. First of all, I looked this up. This isn't the same knee that he had the whole... Um controversy when he played was going to play for Greece in the Eurobasket a few years ago. Does that make you feel better? No, because I think it's the same condition where it's overuse. Yeah. Um, Second of all, would we feel better about this if he, if there wasn't this day-to-day kind of dance of like, okay, he's probable for the Warriors game and then there's a late scratch. No, I don't. I don't. My answer to that is no. I don't think I'd feel any better in the if they just said he's weeks. out for two weeks. He's going to nurse. No. His, okay. I personally feel better seeing him, which has been the case, like in recent days. He's on the court. He's going through kind of 
shoot around with the team and then they decide you know what we're not gonna go like that's okay the issue is there it's maybe not like at a crisis point but they're being prudent about it he's even content to play it safe and like that's that's that actually is more encouraging to me if he disappeared from sight for a couple of weeks yeah no and maybe that will happen at some point it's not the honest way generally um like knock on wood. It would have, I mean, the, the only time that would have happened would have been the season, or right when the season suspended last year. Yeah, that's true. Um, I just, I think it's it's funny. We'll we'll talk a little bit about the Warriors game, or I guess the end of the Warriors game in a minute, because I feel like this was something that was a big talking point among books fans on Twitter, although. I struggle to see why, and I think this conversation is a great example of it, because it's like lost to the Warriors by a point without Giannis. Who cares? Who cares about a broken play, end of game, and it all goes wrong? And sure, the books do not have a good history with that. Who cares? There, there is nothing. There is nothing in that for me that you look at that and you're like, oh no, that's a sign of what's to come in the playoffs. It's just not. And if the Bucks want to lose a whole bunch of games, they want to get blown out. If they want to lose close ones with poor execution, but Giannis isn't playing because his knee is kind of, you know, don't play Giannis. That's fine. Like, we've been down this road, and it is the thing, this is part of the problem I've had, certainly, with getting fully, like, engage with the team this year and we we all knew this and we talked about it after the end of last season is we've been true we've been burned by it twice this books team has like just mowed down everyone in their path for two years in the regular season looked incredibly formidable it hasn't happened in the playoffs we can put an asterisk beside last season and say okay if the season hadn't stopped or if they actually had been able to play on home court because they're not the brooklyn nets Would that have made a difference? (laughs) Who cares? Who cares? It doesn't matter. The reality is they haven't got it done in spite of their regular season dominance two years in a row. They've tried a lot of different things this year. (laughs) One of those might also be winning considerably fewer games and not being the number one seed. It doesn't matter. If players are fresher and you're playing, for example, the Sixers, maybe the Sixers will really want the number one seed because they haven't had it before. I can see that argument. I think that argument will equally apply to the Nets, but I guess national TV have other ideas. Mm-hmm. But let's say the Sixers want that, and they do push for that. Am I cool with the Bucks then getting them and playing if the Bucks are in a series with them? Would I feel good about not having home court? Yeah, I absolutely would if I felt like they had been pushing Joel Embiid a little bit harder or Ben Simmons a little bit harder to get home court. Because that can be undone in game one and you can never get it back. Like, that's, that is the thing that there really should be more of an advantage for securing the number one seed. If we're going to do this, there should be something that's meaningful. There isn't. How often do you see it? It's like, go lose game one. Didn't the Bucks lose game one? Did they lose game one to the Magic? Yeah, and the Celtics. But the Magic, I mean... <laughs> Like, that's the point of it. So now, did the Raptors when they won the when it Obviously, that whole series was taking place not on, uh, on well, kind of on the Magic's home court. Um, but look, Brooks it's backyard. Just, 
yeah they've got to they've got to be careful with this but it doesn't it doesn't inspire confidence because he is going to play and he's going to want his rhythm and they're going to need him to have rhythm and they've never had a tougher balancing act of getting some momentum some good feeling not letting the season kind of flame out where confidence drops or guys just don't feel like they have it going to the, the playoffs i mean the other thing is when we talk about the last two seasons and both ended as you know disasters the last two seasons were entirely different beyond the obvious break last year in that um in the first season when the books were number one seed they were good in the playoffs for most of the time and they lost to the team that won a championship if that happened this year don't think that'd be a problem what happened last year though that can't happen again that cannot happen again they can't struggle against just crap in the first round. No offense to the Orlando Magic. It is just the truth. I mean, that team is uh, not what it is now. <laughs> it's, it's a full, it's a fully different deal. And then the heat for the Anis injuries and everything else that was there. Just, it wasn't, it didn't look anything like them. What they've got to do come playoff time is be like, yeah, it's, that looks like the team has played all season. If they lose, they lose. But they've got to go and give an account to themselves and get themselves. In if game. she dies, she dies, or, <laughs> or whatever. Rocky, <laughs> Rocky, but also uh, Mirza Toledovic had a pretty famous quote oh, yeah. along those same lines. So maybe Mirza needs to come back. Um, okay, the Warriors lost generally the end of game situation. What are your thoughts on this generally? The numbers say the books are actually a pretty good clutch team. And when yeah, I say it's, the numbers, it's been rising. It had been rising for, I think they're seventh in that, net rating clutch. Yeah, it's something crazy. Where like, if you look at the the win loss record, it's it's I it was really bad, but their right. net they, rating they is are, like they four. are seven. Well, this is this is what I was going to get to. So they're seventh in net rating in the clutch, one ten point eight offensive rating, one hundred one point two defensive rating. Do you know, by the way, who did? clutch leaders in that rating are is it the hornets still it's still the hornets do you have any idea of what their net rating is i know like terry rozier has like the most like clutch points or clutch three threes this year it's something crazy i would say like 20 46 <laughs> they've all it's it's only in 67 minutes Still, 20, crazy 22 games and they have a 138.3 offensive rating in the clutch and a 92.3 defensive rating. The Charlotte Hornets. Um, but for the books, okay, so 9.6 net rating in the clutch. Everyone, like, there's no one who's going to turn that down. That sounds great. You've got a 9 and 10 record with that. Doesn't add up. Doesn't make sense. They need to better end the game. We know that. They need to go to more options. The thing with the Warriors game is. I cannot critique what they did because they didn't get to do it. <laughs> like, yeah. what are we really saying the play call was? And how can anyone with conviction? The Chris Middleton gave one of the worst inbound passes I've ever seen. We talked about bad Bucks inbound passes. That, that might be that's, a... That's, that's one of the worst. Yeah. Like, no real... Obviously, there's always pressure on an inbound pass. But in terms of bodies putting pressure... You've got a low out towards half court, lots of space to just miss the guy. Like 
clean missing by like a couple of feet. That is just horrendous. You or I could do better than that. Mm-hmm. And anyone listening could do better than that. That It was just an all-time mess. They recovered it. They got a shot off. I did see some complaints. Of, oh, another Middleton tree in the game. Doesn't yeah, matter. that's what happened. I cannot call that. That was not, you know, oh, we're running the Middleton tree play. Yeah. That the book so often It was a did. scramble play. Let's see. Let's try to get a look off as miraculous as we could. Now, the one thing I will say is um, the books, like many other teams around the NBA, they do like with the game on the line to get the ball back to the inbounder. The inbounder is who the play is designed for. Yeah. And Chris, as we all know, we all noticed, didn't go unnoticed with how he executed, that Chris Middleton was the inbounder. I don't know. I don't know what that play was to end up being, really. All I can say is, I would have had Drew Holiday inbounding. And I would have had the play designed for Drew Holiday. Chris had a great third quarter. Maybe that But his rhythm it. was all lost after that, though. Yes. That was the thing. But they need to work out. And this is like, what's the best books inbounds play of your time covering the books? It's the, I think this is probably it's an easy answer. It's the Dudley, right? Right. Just think about that. That was a play executed by Jared Dudley and Jared Bayless. With a hat it tip to uh, it with a hat tip to, to be. Derek Rose, who wasn't fully paying attention. That that is what makes the yeah, play. Yeah, it was Derek Rose definitely got an assist on that. Yeah. Um but my point is it doesn't have to be as rigid as I think Bud has looked in terms of drawing up. And there's always an ISO element to it, it seems. They need to get more motion in those kind of plays. I think you need to get the ball in Drew's hands. It doesn't work. We've seen Giannis's inbounder doesn't work. Um Chris as inbounder, as much as he's improved in a lot of ways as a passer, I don't think we can... Even before this, I wouldn't have put inbound passing as one of the areas for that. He's good at inbound passing from the baseline. Behind the hoop, finding a cutter, just kind of timing-wise, that's something he can be good at. Um, If I was the book head coach, though, I may well spend the next couple of months just all we do in practice is... (laughs) Just like also, in the this, game scenarios, the, like the last play, court, let's go. It would have been all mute or moot uh, if that the multiple things. One that offensive foul that Drew got called for. Yeah, that. But also, like, yeah, there was just a comedy of errors from Mark Davis in particular. I'm not one to bash refs or anything like that, but like. There was the play, like play calls in the third quarter. It's like what it or foul calls in the third quarter was like even like the Thanasis. Like, did he even touch Kareev at the corner three? Where yeah. he, it was just like, yeah, it was. But either way, the even just like rebounding the ball, the last possession that led to the Ubre uh, free throws. It was just like, oh, this I've seen this before. I've seen this in the Raptors series where they. They even show down the road trip where it's like someone box, someone's boxing up, but there's no one to collect the ball. Where it's everybody's is that, standing. Not, is that not obvious? As in, I have no problem with that being part of the issue for them in that game late. Because how do books rebounds usually work? 
<laughs> Someone boxes out and Yanis comes and collects. Yanis yeah. wasn't there. No one came to collect them. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Uh, you, I'm sure you've got like a photographic memory for this particular set of circumstances. But I I really, I was impressed with a lot of Thanasis's plays and just his general impact against the Warriors. How much was he in the game late, though? I'm trying to think. No, he, it, he wasn't at all. Because I think that's he, what... He could have been clean-up guy. Like, have br- broke out there to box out and just be like, every rebound, Thanasis, it's yours. Or just, if they're trapping Curry, too, because he the just offensive showed... ones, like that one that he got called for it over the back on, which was just... <laughs> You know, just maybe, maybe don't. Maybe every ball is not gettable, Tanasis. But <laughs> most of them are. And if someone that that to me was part of, they were just lacking someone to go clean up. We know they're good at boxing out, um. But that was missing. I'm fine with that. Like with Yanis there, that doesn't happen. And really, if we're talking about or even Bobby Portis, Bobby Portis is not. He's. I mean. He's very. He has his limitations, but he is also one that like I'm going to get that rebound. <laughs> I know when I can get that rebound and when I can't. Also, PJ Tucker in those kind of situations, if he ever gets That's, healthy, yeah. would be very helpful. So there's a lot of things we can point to with that. I mean, the other thing is, um, the Warriors are not the best team in the world, but they are they are a live and kicking team that have something to play for. They had motivation for. to put in. Yeah, real motivation. Plus, Steph Curry made a couple of really tough shots, like really tough shots where it's like you shrug your shoulders. He's Steph Curry, and they come back and they win. Uh, to me, it's just so much of a nothing, particularly without Giannis. But it didn't seem like that was the general kind of read of the room. And I don't know if that's just a cumulative thing. I don't know if that's just you know. The I think that's just every Bucks loss. It's it's yeah, it hasn't changed it hasn't changed for my time writing or no, just watching. No, it's it's but <laughs> well I, I would disagree with that. I think it's much worse. And it has certainly yeah, got worse as your time has gone on. Yeah. Particularly because when you started when I started, you know it was more books wins that got people surprised. Um just one other thing though that I'd add in here is the books have been on the road for they've been on the road for eight days when that game happened. It was a fifth straight road game. And yeah, they crumbled late and they lost by a point. It's just like that that's what happens. Mm-hmm. That's what happens in a normal season, let alone this one. Um I'm not particularly concerned. I think there's some good positives, like obviously Giannis being incredible against Portland, Drew Holiday being incredible against the Kings. Like there's some good stuff from the road trip for the books to take. Um, and let's be honest, I mean, look at the schedule here. Obviously they finish finish up supposedly the road trip against Dallas, but they're just back for one against the Hornets and they're back out for three games on the road. Mm-hmm. So that is, that is brutal. And I honestly... Like, even when you look at the way their schedule is going in, they come back from that three-game trip, they have four at home, then four on the road, then four at home. Um, That's just not regular NBA rhythm, and there is something kind of weird about that too. The books just have to not get in their head about stupid details. Everything doesn't have to be representative of how they will be in the playoffs. I think as a team, they're ready, they're, they're more than good enough. It's just getting themselves there, one, as healthy as they can be, and two, mentally, like, 
prepared, not already mentally kind of mm-hmm. eating away at themselves about how is this all going to come back to bite us. Yeah. And will we go into the mailbag or if we got anything else? No, I think I think we can go to the mailbag. Okay, thanks as always to all of you for your questions. Thanks to all of you who listened. A lot of people listened, which is quite touching, heartwarming, surprising when like nothing shows up in your feed for three and a half months. I'm sure there are people who like to listen to us who are not yet aware that we are, in fact, you know, like The Undertaker. We have arisen um, and we're back at the game. So to those of you who did listen, thank you. It's very kind. Um, from a cowboy of space, Jeff Teague is not washed high-pitched question voice. I'm not attempting a high-pitched question voice. Um, he looked pretty good against Golden State. He had that, that not, the one not, the not. one score that he had that was like, oh, that was vintage Teague was the blow by, I'm forgetting who it was against. But it was like, oh, what it, he's really got to change a pace. Yes. This is his this is his move to stop and go. Um, it is very much a signature. It's very fun to watch. And even with him not being quite as quick as he used to, it makes him look lightning fast because he's just got that kind of stutter dribble. And then, oh, I'm past you. And mm. very, very tough. It, it takes a really good defender to not just kind of end up falling flat on their heels and then being stuck in the mud as he goes past him. Uh I am not. Do I, Jordan? You could. We're we're using this is a bit inside inside baseball here, but we are back to like we did many years ago. We're recording on video as we as we podcast here. Like I could go and get like four Jeff Teague jerseys from my closet behind me here, Jordan. I could lay them up. I could show you that I am in fact, you know, maybe. <laughs> Maybe the leader of the fan club, and I'm I'm not having the general overreaction. I think to Teague so far, I'll stick with what I said last week. Jeff Teague will win the books games. He will win a playoff game. This is the Jeff Teague experience. Um, he so far. Let's just let's just think with the teams he's played against, and also. Even let's like wind the clock back and think of prime Jeff Teague and what was good and what was bad. Like the problem isn't going to be can he make good passes? Can he hit some corner trees? Can he beat a defender, get to the rim and finish? The problem is going to be when you're against really good teams, can he can you keep him on the floor in the playoffs? Like that's that's the question. So there is there is nothing to really get excited about. It's good. They didn't have a backup point guard before it. Is he looking better and doing more than DJ Augustine? Yeah, that also that also makes it a positive. (laughs) No, but that's I guarantee, and I can understand some of the reason for excitement. But the problems that I would expect to see from Jeff Teague certainly there's been no chance for them to crop up yet, and they may not until it matters most. And then people are like, "Why is Jeff Teague not playing?" or Oh, Jeff Teague didn't show up for the for this series. When it's like, no, no, this is who he is. This is why like, make any he was available he for the books um, to pick up off the scrap heap at this point of his career. He is a good player. He's a skilled player who not just like his relationship with Bud, but with Darvin Ham, Charles Lee, Ben Sullivan. These are guys he knows, has worked with, and really likes. Like he, I watched. Might have been just after we recorded our last episode. Um, it was around that I think that 
Yeah, that's right, because he did. We talked about him not being announced yet. It was announced literally. It was, yeah, that afternoon. Between us rapping and the podcast going up. Um, so I think that evening he had media availability, if not the next day. And he talked about like those guys by name. He mentioned the assistants and the relationship he had with them. Now, I, I do know Jeff Teague's coach and the coach that really unlocked Teague was Kenny Atkinson. That was the person at the Hawks who was like his specialist coach. And Kenny Atkinson is renowned for his work with point guards in particular. Still, I can't believe he's not on a bench, is he? I think he's with the Clippers. Is he with the Clippers? Yeah. I would have liked Kenny Atkinson to come in late in the season and just be the new, the, new the, the popular thing, the observer. Yeah. <laughs> or where these guys just come in and stand like in the corner. Like how Jim Boylan like was with the Blazers for two to three weeks and they uh, like played. no, I don't, I don't <laughs> like that particular example. Um, two straight weeks of Jim Boylan references. Yeah, we're back. I'm sure that's a a run you can keep up for many more weeks, Jordan. Yes. Um, which Jim Boylan am I going to talk about next? I know which one. It's always going to be the one I don't want to talk about. <laughs> um, from at gu one Daniel one looks like Daniel. We'll say Gull Daniel. That's the display name. Is DJ Wilson poised to become the new Malcolm Brogdon? Question mark. Are we destined to forever pine for the loins? Loins, that's quite a term there. Of another former, albeit less talented, book. I'll be honest here. Is DJ Wilson doing stuff? I, I have, have not no even... idea. I have no idea. He's not even on my radar anymore. No. Uh, the the Houston Rocket, or former Buck turned Houston Rocket that I think Bucks fans would like to have would be uh, Sterling Brown. He's actually been very good this year. I, I just assumed that was going to be Christian Wood you were talking about. Oh, I even forgot about that. <laughs> but, mm-hmm, really? Would they want Sterling Brown? The books have seen, books fans have seen Sterling Brown be good for a year. Yeah, but he's even better than what he was even that year. Um, DJ I'm, is I'm, averaging 5.5 points, 3.2 rebounds, shooting 47% from the field, 42% from three. Just 11.9 minutes, though. He's not playing all that much. I have no interest. All due respect to Mr. Wilson. Yeah. Comparing him and Matthew Brown does not... I think the people who are going to pine over DJ Wilson should be okay because they've had plenty practice pining over him for years. Um, While he's been... He's found himself, you know, located firmly on the pine, Jordan. From our Russ Brick 44. <laughs> is there a single skill or ability that Bryn Forbes is better at than Sam Merrill? I want you to answer this first because I feel like I have answers for this that maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've really missed I think he's a better shooter than him right now. Yeah. I think that's pretty unquestionable. As good as as promising as Merrill is shoot uh in terms of a shooter. You still have to show it at an NBA level where Bryn Forbes has. Um, it's good. We're getting down to slim pickings right now. <laughs> I don't think so. I, do you not think he's a better... May, better might be wrong. Do you not think they're basically equivalent passers? Probably, yeah. I think Bryn Forbes is better at running. Yes. 
And when you break it down like that, that he might be a better shooter, passer, and runner. What are we talking about? Merrill seems to be a better defender, which is a pleasant I, surprise. Yeah, I would say but that's definitive. What are we talking about? I mean, and the thing with Merrill, Merrill maybe can grow into being a contributor for the books over the years. Like, this is like make or break season for Milwaukee. They've had two goes at this with an incredible team, a really good coach, like regardless of diverging opinions on that. He is one of the better coaches in the NBA. They've had the MVP for two years. Just, you know, everything looking good, and they haven't managed to get it done. So to be in April and to be kind of entertaining the idea that maybe maybe there needs to be some more Sam Merrill minutes, I find very tough to stomach. I That's just not me. Yeah, the, the Bucks are not a Sam Merrill away from winning, or coming out of the East, because that's all they have to do in my book. The, the time for that argument to be had is the beginning of next season. Yes. Agreed. Which Brent Forbes is a player option, doesn't he, this summer? So, yep, same with Portis. So, Sam Merrill may get plenty of minutes next year. Yeah. Um, we'll see. But that's the time for that, because if you're going to think about, well, maybe he could be more, he could do this, you got to give it a full season. Um, and I think also as a rookie, even though Sam Merrill you know, is a little bit older than your average rookie, it's not the, the books can't just have any old rookie go in there like unless they're landing like a top five pick who has kind of prodigious talent. I just don't see the really kind of easy and obvious path to major minutes. Um, from at MK Robert, did we already witness the Jeff T game, or do you think we can expect some level of consistent contribution from him? No, we absolutely did not witness the Jeff T game. Jordan, you're like knocking on your microphone. There's an ant crawling on it. <laughs> it's bothering me. I just had to like people are gonna be like, "What is going on?" Uh, I'm, I'm one of you people because I'm watching Jordan just like knock on a microphone, which you know, um, consistent contribution from Teague. Probably not. Like, let's wait. I mean, when he is playing games, let's... when he has played either. For or against Milwaukee, he has looked really good this year. That's, that's all I will say. I'm joking. Uh, that, that okay, I'm looking ahead in the schedule. I'm saying around two weeks just shot. under that from now. Around two weeks just under that from now, the books play three games in a row, the Suns and the Sixers and the Sixers. All at home. Let's pencil in after that final Sixers game to talk about Jeff Teague. And I don't mean that as in, like, Jordan's li- Jordan's making a note right now. I can see it. Yeah. Um, it's in his schedule. I, I'm i not saying, like, it's all going to fall apart then, but you've got to, like, wait for some really good teams. <laughs> um, teams that have got something going and see how Jeff Teague holds up then. And also, I mean whether Jeff Teague will be on the floor by then and how many minutes he'll be getting with the books. Not guaranteed. Um, but I like Jeff Teague. Jeff Teague can do stuff, and he will. You're always guaranteed that he will do stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's good stuff, 
remains to be seen. But no, this won't be the best. The best of Teague is yet to come. It's going to be big. Um, consistency, that might be another issue entirely. Um, from an MK, Robert, should the books retire the late game lob attempt? If anything, the books should they should put late game lob attempts more, but I'm only saying that as an example of something that is a little bit more creative than some other things we see late in game. They need some more variety, but if you're gonna get into late game lobs, you've gotta have the right guys on the floor. Mm-hmm. You've gotta have guys you can lob to. Um, it's just Brook and Yadis at this point, right? Or yeah. Or Thanasis? Yeah, you wanted to say it. I knew. It's like Jordan straight away <laughs> wants to say it. I ca- you're listen to yourself. You're advocating for lading games that the books are their offenses, lob attempts for Thanasis. I, I mean, you can't knock it until you try it, kid. You need to be stopped. Um, <laughs> from at Ed Money thirteen. Whatever happened to Austin Rivers? Do you think the books can win it all? Uh, I don't know what happened to Austin Rivers. He, <laughs> he's somewhere. He is somewhere that isn't the NBA, and I think that is the key detail right now. Uh, my understanding, reading of this, without like fully breaking down the numbers, is he will be a book. They just don't want to pay the tax. Yeah. And they're waiting until the moment, which will have to be very soon, where they can sign him to a minimum deal, the prorated minimum that will keep them under the tax for the season. It was reported by Shams that they were the front runner. It was reported that they had an agreement and he hasn't signed. It's like two weeks on now, aren't we? Ten days? Like, yeah. He hasn't signed elsewhere. He is a good player. He's an actual NBA player of the very slim pickings that are out there. Like, do you think the Lakers, for example, before signing Ben McLemore, didn't put a call into Austin Rivers? Mm-hmm. Like, they 100% did. So the fact that Austin Rivers isn't a Laker now means Austin Rivers is playing a waiting game. Why he's doing that, I don't understand. I don't understand why he has decided he's content to wait to be a book, if that is what's happening. He's perfectly fine with Jeff Teague being the guy who got signed first. That wouldn't have been the order I would have done it in. But my guess and expectation is still that Austin Rivers will be a book in the not-too-distant future. I would agree with that. I, it's Yeah. Do you think the books can win it all, Jordan? No. Really? Yeah, and I'm, I don't know. I'm fine with it. <laughs> it just, it's a lot. It's... This is I'm this is the second week I've been surprised by this kind of thing. And this is it's such a big question. It seems we're just we haven't discussed these big sorry, my microphone dropped and then disconnected there, which was not particularly useful. Yes, so big, big picture, Jordan. You don't think they can win a championship. I who is the is the question to this? Who is the reason, like um, I well, first of all, I just think I don't know. Like, I keep... do you not just think this is wide open in this dumb season in this dumb league with all these dumb teams? 
Like there's I think it's wide open from I think I think to some extent there's eight to nine teams that are just kind of in a kind of general mix. But my feeling is this year that the gap between like eight and nine and one and two in the kind of mix is incredibly small. That's that's my feeling on it. Like that's I fully believe the Bucks can win a championship and are right in the mix. Could they also go out in the second round again? Sure. But I think it's right there. Like, it's there for someone to win, maybe more than any previous season. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I think it's... I agree that I think there's more of a... There's definitely a gap from the top 10 teams in the league versus, obviously, the remaining 20. And then when you get to the the 10 teams that are, you know, kind of considered that contender slash dark horse team that you don't want to play against in the playoffs, that kind of, you know, thinking like it's clear that the top three in the East between Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee is kind of set at this point Mm -hmm. in the West. The Lakers obviously tumbling without both LeBron AD, but I think it's, Jazz, Suns, Nuggets that are going to give them a run for their money. Yeah, I mean, I, you, I, can't, you can't rule out the Clippers figuring it out in, in a playoffs. I, kn- I know what they look like and how to been, but this this is the thing for me. And this is the same reason that, like, can the Bucks win a championship? Absolutely. Like, 100%. Because of the players they have, they could go and win any series. I, I don't see a single series that they can't win. And with, particularly with the circumstances around the league, with everything, like if the Lakers had had a more stable season in terms of LeBron and AD's health, I think it's a different conversation. They're defending mm-hmm. champions. They're really, really good. <laughs> Just no question about that. And if they were coming into things in a much better position, as it is, like both of those guys are going to miss quite a lot of time, may not have been back very long, and they are going to come back in like when we talk about home court and the prospect of the books having it or not having it, the whole like they could be in a four or five series with the Nuggets in round one or something like that, where it's a completely different deal. I I don't see a reason why. I don't see a reason why. Even particularly when you're like the Lakers, some of their competition could be the Jazz, Suns, and Nuggets. Like I know those teams are good. If you could be offered a seven-game series with the Utah Jazz or the Phoenix Suns to win an NBA championship, like the Bucks are the best player on the floor in any of those series, and his name is Jeff Teague. Yes, um, of course. No, uh, <laughs> I, I well, I also like I don't know. I at this point, penciling or not penciling them in, but like looking towards the West and like who would the Bucks be better off facing all that stuff. It's just a rel- like we've talked about that like the last two years. I know, you're they afraid ha- of the Nets. We established this last but we season. had but there is something of like you can't look too far ahead until you, you know I I no, I'm not this conquer is just, the East. I'm I'm not looking ahead as in I'm I'm one hundred percent not penciling the books into the finals. But if we're talking about can they win it all, we can't even investigate that question without considering, well, if they got out of the East, what's there? Like, my opinion is that the East is where their biggest challenge lies. I think I'm higher on the Sixers than you. Yeah, lower, I would agree with lower that. On the, lower on the Nets. Although, 
like obviously I'm not a fool. I know the Nets are a very good team with lots of incredibly good players. But the Bucks, you're only gonna the Bucks face... could beat them though. The Bucks could be any of those teams. This is this is where I'm at with it. Yeah. Cause you're because as we talk about the West, you're only gonna face one of those teams. You have to face Brooklyn, Philly to get out of the East. And right now, I mean, their first round matchup is gonna be tougher than what it was against the Orlando Magic and they lost game one against them last year. Or the Detroit Pistons two years ago. You know what I mean? Like it, we're not talking about the same type of first round cupcake matchup they're like, oh okay, it's just gonna be a formality that they come out of it. You think so? Like Even at the, the options, stage where there is a possibility, but some of the options, like like what, are we afraid of Terry Rosier again? Like if the Hornets fall a bit, which they likely will. Hey, but they also they also time. yeah, I was gonna say like, they... it could be the Knicks, depending what they do, it could be the Hawks. Like, you're, like, the number one not afraid of the Celtics, man, for many years now, and that must be amped up times 10 this year. I mean, we'd probably just like to avoid the heat because, you know, scar tissue. Um, I just, I don't see, I don't see that being the case. The Magic were terrible, but there's also a strong case to be made that it hasn't served the books well playing teams like that in the first couple in the first round, anyway. Um, that's a good, yeah, that's true. I, I just, I, I don't see a reason why the answer to that question isn't an immediate yes. Like the question isn't will they win it. If you ask me will they win it, I'm just like, what? Do you, I, I don't know. Anyone could win this, but that is my feeling in a way that it was there last year for different reasons. Wasn't quite the year before. I mean. It was up for grabs, but there was still a set number of teams. I think this is as open as it's been. Like, the Phoenix Suns could win an NBA championship. I don't think they will, but they could. They could go from being a perennial joke for many, many years. And just like that, you know, Chris Paul, Monty Williams, internal development, bang, and Mm -hmm. be champions. Like, if there's a year for a Detroit Pistons 2004 esque winner this is it 100 this is it um i to me it's just 100 they can win it i don't think anyone should be answering on any team whether they will win it but i don't like your hesitation jordan i think it's i think they can definitely they can it's wide open they can i don't think they will Is your only one, t- for that only, only one team of- wins at all? Only oh, one team I know wins that. All. I mean, I think that's a general a thing that I certainly feel more of a peace with than I would have two years ago. Oh yeah, I think Bucks fans should. I don't know if that is the case more generally though. That no. there should be this peace with. Well, you know, sometimes you're just not going to win a championship because winning a championship is really, really hard. It's. I think it's made easier knowing that. Every loss the Bucks have isn't going to be this. Oh, is Giannis going to stay, or is he going to leave? This is that it whole is it not? <laughs> You're telling me if the Bucks lose in the second round to whoever, that the main story on ESPN the next day isn't like. But that's all. Uh, that's all. The books uh, have failed Giannis again. I know, but that's, that's how that conversation happens. So, but I like, don't think, the books don't, don't have to worry. The thing we talked about on our last episode for the hiatus after Supermax is no matter what, 
if it all goes wrong, the books will be sellers from a, a position of power. Um, if Giannis asks out, they have to get stuff. Like they were approaching the point of the franchise being ruined forever if he decided not to stay because there was no assets for the foreseeable future. He could have just said, I'm leaving in free agency. The whole thing is dead. Um, Seattle, maybe you could get a team. You know, you might have to wait 15, 20 years, but I don't know if much good would have been happening in those 15, 20 years. Like, that's the thing if it goes wrong. And that was one of the big wins, albeit the win that people don't want to dwell on too much if you're signing that deal. But that'll happen again. And that's fine. That's This is the way it works. We don't have to worry about Paul Pierce talking about it on ESPN anymore. That's the, that's he, he may the... be talking about it other places, though. Yeah. Um, I certainly <laughs> won't have to worry about it the places he'll be talking about it. Yeah. From at John Doe Books, and the couple of games PJ Tucker played, Bud had him in some lineups with Brooke. Do you like this idea, or would you prefer him in primarily Giannis at the five lineups? I mean, I don't think he's going to exclusively play Giannis at the five lineups. We, at this point, they were waiting for a PJ Tucker player to, to play those lineups more, um, especially at towards the end of games. Um, I think we're talking about 45 minutes that we've seen TJ, PJ Tucker in a Bucks uniform. Yeah, my answer was going to be I'd mostly prefer just to see PJ Tucker in any lineup. Yeah. Um, that would be good to start with. I, in theory, yeah, I'd prefer him at the five, but there is also there is a danger in what happens to the Bucks and what it does in how drastically it changes their identity. Even though they've been trying it, they've been working towards it, they haven't had the personnel to really commit to it. So if PJ Tucker comes boss, back like after an injury, <laughs> yeah, and if PJ Tucker comes back from an injury and he's got 10 games, it's like, well, yeah, we're going to commit to playing a lot of PJ Tucker to much more than Brooke. I think that has its dangers. Um, I think PJ Tucker can play with Brooke. I think there will be times and uses for that kind of lineup. Bud has liked more than going small with the books. He has liked to go big. Mm-hmm. He has liked to go big in size, but with lineups that can kind of play small in style. I wouldn't say that lineup necessarily fits the the latter part of that, but I just think PJ Tucker can be good and useful and getting him on the floor and maybe cutting back some minutes for some other players as a result would be a win for the books. From at B-Ball Banter 1, do you think our rotation of bigs is good enough to win uh, in the postseason? Brooke took Bobby. Obviously, all three have flaws, um, and how Bud uses them is going to be the biggest question. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, my answer is no, no, where, <laughs> where the Bucks' winning prospects lie, but I think they right now they have a, a nice mix of if you need more offense you can go to Bobby if you need the traditional Bucks Bud system yeah Brooke obviously you want to play more switching defense Tucker's there but again they still have Brooke can be schemed out pretty easily Bobby Portis is along the same lines and obviously his defensive effort is not the same as Brooke or Tucker. Um, and obviously, Tucker is a matter of is he going to play? Just <laughs> also, well, just what happened with Robin Lopez last year is part of the thing for me that I just don't know exactly what. 
like that was a surprise. The, yes. the fact that he was just completely out of consideration. I still don't quite understand what the rationale for that was. I don't know if anyone ever really pressed that hard enough to get a sense of what he was seeing and why that happened. Um, that leaves just a question mark, though, over what what does Bud see with the team? Maybe just generally over, like, what does he see the team as being in the playoffs? Whatever that was last year didn't work. Um, maybe that approach this year, if Tucker's healthy, they've got the personnel and they can do it, but a bit of a waiting game. Uh, from Adam MK Robert, the Bucks have locked in their course, seemingly putting them in position to compete for a title the next three to four years. Would you consider not winning a title with this group of failure? No. It depends how far away from winning a title they are. Yeah. Like if they're if they never if they never come if they never reach the Eastern Conference Finals again, it, that's that's pretty oh, that's, that's a tough look. Absolutely to, a failure. Yeah, and we won't see them for three to four years if that happens. Like <laughs> that's where ESPN will be right to have the conversation to the honest future. I I think that the the actual answer to this lies in the book's past, and it's like were the teams of the eighties a failure? No, I don't think so. They had to go up against incredible Celtics teams, incredible Sixers teams. They were always there, there about, and they just never broke their way. Like if the books can do that, if they can perennially get to conference finals, if they're going to lose before that, they better lose in like ding dong series with teams that are just obviously incredibly good. If they can get there, make a finals appearance sometime. If all those things happen, they don't win one. I mean, by definition, it's a failure, but there also just has to be a sense of kind of pragmatism of the way of the NBA, like and the teams that that happens to over and over again. What the books need to do, and what I think everyone has to demand of them, is that they are good enough, well-coached enough, well-run enough, that they are in position every year where they have a chance. Like, whatever this ends up being this year, it, part of it is that conversation that we were just having, which is, can they win it this year? Now, I think it's a problem. If if a lot of people feel the way you feel and they would answer no to that, that is a big problem. For whatever reason that might be. If that is, if you're locked in with these guys and all that money and that is the answer, well, then there's a major issue and they need to tackle it in a way that's going to be pretty severe. And I don't know if there's a good outcome. Um but that's going to be year to year. Every year, it's like, can we win it? If the answer is yes, you ride it out. You get yourself in position and see when things might break your way. Like, look at look at a team, and I think in many ways a good parallel for this books as well. Um, like I've already mentioned the 4 Pistons, they could blah, but it's the the Mavericks. I think that's a that's a really kind of close approximation for what the books are, what their kind of mix of talent is the kind of players they have and the the central superstar and MVP caliber player that they have at the front of it. Like they got one. It's all that matters. Mm-hmm. Like they could have had more. I'm sure the players, I'm sure everyone involved fans look back at that. And like we could have, we could have had more, but they were good enough. Most years, good coach, good teams, good players. Let's get in the mix. We'll lose some. 
maybe one of these years where Crack Tree will win it all. And they did, and that is all that matters. And that's what this whole era of the books is about. Can you get your one? If you get more than that, that's incredible. But that really is the stuff of fantasy. Like, yeah. Kareem, Oscar, Bobby Dandridge couldn't do that. Like, um, if you get one, everyone can be happy for another 50 years. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's pushing it. Um, <laughs> better not to go through the years. 50 years the books went after that. But, you know, that you know what I mean. That's yeah. kind of... That's the trajectory, I think, if you're being realistic, you've got to look for. Good, fun team, likable guys, well-run, well-coached, that year in, year out, you're like, sure, playoffs are starting, and I'm here, I'm watching, and we'll see what happens, because they have a chance. Um, They, they can never find themselves in a scenario where it's like, oh, we just don't have, we're not even in the top five teams capable, or there's such a gap between us and Team X that it's just not possible at all. Um, from at Luke Lorfeld, last pod I facetiously asked about the chances of T getting 20 minutes a nightly burn, but I didn't think it would be this close through three to four games. Considering the need for quality backup guard minutes, do you see his production usage role remaining? No, 100%. Um, I still wouldn't believe they will sign Austin Rivers. He will play, if not swallow a lot of those minutes. Also, Giannis has missed a couple of those games and they've needed That's, another ball yeah. hander and playmaker and it changes the kind of what does configurations. Jeff like playing next to Giannis versus what does Jeff Teague look like when he has the ball in his hands? I think he could look very good playing next to Giannis. I just don't know if they'll yeah. need him out there as much when Giannis yep. is there. Um, so I, I don't know if there's anything that should be read into his minutes right now. Mm-hmm. From at Ben Rauman, Drew is the best books point guard since. Your job is to fill in the blank, Jordan. Cassell? That is 100% correct. I think it's a slightly safe option. No surprise, for Jordan. Safe option. Uh, Do we count Cindy Mancreeth as a traditional point guard? He was for that team. Defensively, certainly. I think he's better than Might be that. Cassell. Like, obviously, Cassell had Cassell had his playoff moments. So, we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens when Drew gets to the playoffs. But, I, I think you could go further back. I think you could go towards Sid the Squid. Yeah. Um, at Luke Lorfeld, in-season adjustments aside, what sort of postseason failures would result in the books letting Bud walk? Or conversely, depending on your opinion of Bud, what level of postseason success would be enough to keep him around? I think he's, I think I he's mean, got he's to still... make conference finals at least to keep his job. Yeah, I think that's – yeah. And he's still under contract for next year. That's the other thing is that if they they were to tackle uh, whoever they're going to face in the second round, they would be more comfortable saying we're going to write it out and let the chips fall where they made it. Cause I don't know if Bucks fans know this, but the roster is going to get really expensive and pay firing a guy who they have to pay. Gonna guess. Is, yeah. Gonna guess. <laughs> but um, doing the dance of firing Bud now or let, you know, whatever the case is parting ways <laughs> um, as it will be dressed up eventually. Uh Doing that with one year left on his deal and then 
bringing in another coach for whatever that contract looks like. That I, I, you're 100% right. I'm getting very uncomfortable. Dreading that conversation. Don't want it. I'll, there'll be a long <laughs> hiatus again uh, if we reach that point. Uh, seriously, I mean, if this doesn't work out and they decide Bud is not the guy, Bud has to go and they've got to eat the contract. Yeah. This is like, you can't just waste a year. Like, we were through this with kids. Um, and I mean, what came out after the fact, it really did seem like he was on the precipice and he got into another season. You don't do that. And hopefully that... And they, they still learned. lucked out. They lucked out that it worked out as good as it has. For sure. That's what's crazy. Because they could... I mean, we could have talked about whoever was available in the 2017 offseason. And it could have just been disastrous. And likely would have, especially given the circumstances around, like, firing kid at that time. Compared to compared to public perception, I should say. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, the thing with that is, I wonder they probably could have got Bud that summer. That's a good point. Bud Bud overstayed his welcome, certainly with ownership, with the the new ownership in Atlanta who just didn't take to him. And Schlank took over that year, right? Schlank took over, and Bud and Schlank never saw eye to eye because Schlank. Um, wanted to tear the whole thing down and has made some weird decisions along the way, I have to say. Um, some good picks, some very weird decisions too. Um, I think I think they could have got Bud or Bud could have ended up in that mix if that job opened. And yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting one. I, I just think though, if you reach that point, the coach gotta go immediately. Mm-hmm. Like you sign a deal for X amount of years, there's always the risk. Okay, if we want to fire them, you're gonna have to pay it. Like when the book signed that deal, they were hoping that the roster got expensive because if the roster got expensive, things were still you know on the tracks. Um, if you've got to make a change, you gotta make a change. Um, maybe that means your next coach is not quite as highly paid as maybe you know a lead assistant who was on the former coach's bench, something like that. Like that is the kind of scenario where that the kind of scenario could, yeah, um, could very well play out. But if whatever happens in the postseason, if with ownership, if with front office, they start thinking, Bud isn't the guy. The moment that Todd enters their head, he needs to go. Mm-hmm. From at DJ Abedes, two weeks in a row. Yeah, we're surprised too. Um, can the books follow your lead and sign two impact buyout players in a row? Who's your favorite of the available guys? Austin Rivers. Are the available guys? What are Austin Rivers? Jerome Robinson is every go. Yeah, it's again slim pickings. There's no Otto Porter or Avery Bradley likely coming available. Like Avery Bradley, is that would Avery Bradley be better than Austin Rivers? I don't think so. Me too. I actually also don't know if if Otto Porter would be in terms of contributions this year. I also I think he's hurt right now too. Um, 
he'd be just a great like get cheap get if you get like a multi-year deal and get him cheap as a flyer that could work out in a really big way but in terms of buyout and you're looking for someone to make an impact and they're only there for a couple of months i don't yeah i think we gotta ice the champagne on that one i knew i knew that was coming (laughs) how long can jordan resist making an auto porter in the club joke um he would have fit in quite well with some past books teams from uh, Jules-esque, who is your favorite bio target? I think we just covered that one. Do the books need another guard, wing, or big? I think their approach is they, they're going to take best player available, is and that will be Austin Rivers. I think that is the that is the approach. Yeah. Just let's let's find another player who you know might be able to be a part of our playoff rotation. Mm-hmm. That should be the way you're thinking with it. Um, second part of this question is what needs to happen for the books to beat or have a chance against the Nets? Let the Nets be the Nets. Just let them, let them a lot do of, their uh, thing. A lot of Aldridge, a lot of Blake. No, Griffin. no, that's irrelevant. <laughs> irrelevant. Uh, a lot of Kyrie Irving and a lot of James Harden and a lot of Kevin Durant because you can't have a lot of all three of them and I want to see how it starts to get when when I th- I think I know too who would be the one on the odd the odd one out there, and you're know. making of it. You don't know, really. I don't know. There, there's. I Go think on, it's get, fair money on all three. <laughs> no, I I think if there's a battle for that, one of those players is not getting the ball as much as he wants, and that's Kyrie for me. And shouldn't get the balls, which he wants. And the Bucks have experience of going up against um, just not quite at his best Kyrie in the postseason mm-hmm. and seeing just how much those kind of situations can implode. Um, honestly, the, the Bucks don't need to worry about the Nets like that. They need to, if they play the Nets in a series, go play your best series. Get the best search in Drew Holiday, get a good Chris Middleton series, get Giannis having a positive series, and then you see what that does to the Nets. And that's, I want to see, make them bleed, Jordan. And let's, let's see how they like it. Lastly, from a GMGTCom1052, current books team versus the 01 Sam Big Dog Ray books. Who wins in a seven game series? I think it's Not a sweep. It's yeah. the current to the current team. Talk about a sweet. team that that was a powder keg. <laughs> I, I, we we think about that team, um, or that era, I should say, as like this you know panacea because everything around it was just so terrible. So, the other but thing it is, was, it was it's funny that with... it's still a thing, Jordan. Like it's funny now that this is how in this the is, moment this is a Wisconsin. This is a very Milwaukee sports team thing because. How people view the 1982 Brewers who lost in the World Series. Granted, they made the World Series, so that's farther than where the Bucks did in that season. Sure, but that's viewed as like this is our team, R&T and they still. I mean, yes, yeah, and people still view it as like, oh, they. It's kind of like this 
this like alternate universe like they won it all and they yeah <laughs> i i always was puzzled you know this we talked about this a lot we did various teamed weeks i was puzzled at just how kind of caught up in the 01 books books fans were and um, even more puzzled with how caught up people were in the brandon jennings bogat books like that Another example of it, though, as opposed to being like, oh, hey, this current thing we have is actually better than any of those things and better than anything other than, like, less than a handful of teams in the history of the franchise. But, um, yeah, it's not close. Like, none of those guys. Ray Allen, really, really good at that time. Big Dog is good. Sam Cassell, very good, but, like... I don't know. I do, do I need to say anything disparaging about Sam Cassell? I don't think I do. Um, I If we were to pick the current NBA equivalent of Sam Cassell, and I don't know who that is. I, you don't even have to name a name. My point is just, if they were to be plucked out, put on this Bucks team as the starting point guard, things would get worse. Not better. Mm-hmm. My opinion. That's going to be, I shouldn't have said that. Late on the podcast, it's going to be people who are living in 2001, Jordan. They're going to get upset. They're going to be in my mentions. But yeah, current theme, easy. All right, that does it for us. See, now I'm going to say it and you're going to believe me. And then maybe that's all the long con, but we're going to be back next week. <laughs> uh, talk about more books. Hopefully, Giannis will be back in action. If not, then things will really start to get a little bit more nervy. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. You can follow us on SoundCloud, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Stitcher, I think. I actually can't remember where people can get Win and Six, but if you're listening, you've probably found Stitcher one of those sounds places. Right. Um, and if there's places you'd like, I can try to look into that. Get in touch. You can also <laughs> find us on Twitter at winin6, that being the numerical value 6 podcast. And yeah, we'll be back soon. You can check out Jordan's writing, all of, all of the team who work on the good ship Tresky uh, behind the book pass. And we'll be back next week. Thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.